It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Welcome to Business Lens, broadcast on WKXL and available wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Matt Robeson, joined, as always, by Chris Hill, the host of Motley Fool Money, the number one stock investing radio show in America, and they deserve to be because they are a daily show. You can literally hear them on the radio every single day and on podcast every single day. And while I really do want you to follow this show on on podcast and we show up in the Beyond Politics podcast feed, I would also like you to follow Motley Fool Money, which is just a great listen. Chris, welcome back. Great being here as always. Thanks for having me. Well, always fun to have you. Not so fun to talk about a down high volatility, you know, kick in the you know what kind of market. You know, it's funny. We were just saying right before we got on the air that I listen to experts like you. And therefore, I actually don't watch these kinds of things. I don't watch the market. And it sounds like kind of a privileged thing to say. It's like, I don't pay attention to the ups and downs of the market. But honestly, it's because it's because I listen to the advice of experts like you that I, I just know it's not going to change my investment strategy. I'm, I'm not going to pay attention to those ups and downs. And it kind of you know goes back to something my wife, who's a doctor, taught me many years ago. She came home from work one day and was just talking about her day and that she had x-rayed uh, a guy. Oh, no, no, she, she hadn't x-rayed a guy. There was, she saw a guy who might have had a broken toe. And I said, oh, so you x-rayed it? And she said, no. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, man, I, I married a crappy doctor. And it's like, no, 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 <laughs> she explained. It doesn't matter whether I x-ray it or not, because my treatment is going to be the same. Either way, I'm going to buddy tape it to the toe next to it. So if it's not going to change what I'm going to do, why would I worry about the test? And I sort of feel that way about the market. It follows the buddy tape principle for me, which is it's not going to change what I do. You, on the other hand, professionally have to worry about the market. So now, would you be the sham wow of all of our concern about the market? Soak it all up and squeeze it all out into our ears and explain what's going on and how worried should we all be? Long term, I don't think people should be worried. And I, as we've talked about before, Matt, um, the longer you're invested in the stock market, the greater your chances of success. If you're investing or you're close to retirement, this is, you know, you're thinking, oh, or, or you're a day trader, although I'm not sure why a day trader would be listening to the show. Wouldn't they be busy day trading? But anyway, um, you know, if you have a short term mentality, then yeah, this is a volatile time. Um, the situation in Ukraine with Russia's invasion, that is um, absolutely contributing in a significant way to what we're seeing um, with the stock market. And I, I think that there's still some residue from the hangover for, for tech stocks from 2021. There's a little bit of that, but the, the uncertainty in, in Russia and Ukraine is contributing uh, greatly to this. Um, we talk all the time at The Motley Fool about, you know, what lessons did you learn as an investor? And it's clear to me that there are people who are new to stock investing. Maybe they started doing it in early 2020 when the pandemic hit. And unfortunately, one of the lessons they learned inadvertently for some of them is, oh, bear markets are over quickly. 
because in March of 2020, the market dropped 30%. And pretty soon, within just a matter of weeks, it was right back up again and going even higher. Um, that is absolutely the exception. That is not the rule. Um, we have seen just in the past decade, uh, six-month periods, 12-month periods, where um, the market essentially treaded water or was down slightly. We've seen that with individual companies as well. So uh, this is one of those gut check times for investors, because um, this is one of those periods where it's not very fun. And um, if you're losing sleep over it, you probably need to rethink how you're investing. Yeah, it's so possible to look back on that experience and learn the wrong lesson, especially about trying to time the market. And I know you've said this on this show before, and it's sort of it's sort of a well-worn chestnut, but trying to time the market. I mean, look, if there's anyone out there who would like to uh, go up against me, for example, like we could place a friendly wager on, you'll try and time the market and I won't. I'll just stand pat. Let's see in five years, whichever one of us is doing better gets like uh, $1,000. I will take that bet because the odds are way in my favor. And it would be a mistake I'm gathering for people to say, all right, this is what happened two years ago. So I'm going to do the same thing. It worked out for me last time, right? Yeah, it's, it, it is true that um, stock market history doesn't frequently repeat um, I, I'm hoping we see a bounce back up. And certainly, again, to go back to the NASDAQ and some of the tech stocks that we're seeing, a lot of them are, are trading at very attractive multiples. Um, a lot of these stocks that have been beaten down lost 50, 60% of their value. Um, when you look at the underlying business, um, I think about a, a software company like Twilio, uh, which is a profitable business. Keep in mind, some of these um, NASDAQ stocks um, that uh, have been knocked down, some of them are unproven in the eyes of Wall Street. They haven't proven they can make a profit. Twilio is not one of them. Twilio is a profitable company. Um, and that's one that I just sort of look at and think, boy, if, if there are investors out there who are going to sell me shares of Twilio at that price, I'm interested. So that you're saying that there are opportunities embedded in all of this down market. Absolutely. Um, and, and we can get into some of the trends in a moment if you want. But I think that, uh, again, if you're looking several years out, 5, 10, 20 years out, um, there are sustainable, profitable, growing businesses. Um, I know that, uh, again, this may be a lesson some folks inadvertently learned, like, oh, stocks double in a year. It's like, well, yes, sometimes stocks double in a year, and sometimes that is short-lived. Um, so... Some of the businesses out there, they may be boring. Um, it may not be as sexy to think about for some listeners like, oh, this is only going to grow 10% year over year. Like, yeah, but if you add that up over time, that, that's a pretty amazing wealth generator you own shares of. It's, it's a really hard concept, even for me to drum into my, you know, there are so many aphorisms that kind of relate, like, don't judge a book by its cover. Well, actually, the cover on a book is a great summary of what you're going to find in the book. And if you see the author on the book, yeah, you might like that author. That's usually a good guide to whether you want to buy the book. It's the same thing with the aphorism, past performance is not an indicator of future results. That is true. And yet it's so hard to shake the idea in my mind that like, actually, you know, if a company 
has a track record of being well managed and having a smart strategy. You know, you just you just have to look. I think it kind of goes to the point. Actually, you're going to talk about trends, trends for the future. And but maybe this is a good way to separate it because you know, we want to talk about trends for the future, but right now we're going through a little bit of the great reopening 2.0. And so that's it's a good delineation between sort of short-term effects where you really can't use past performance as an indicator of what's going to happen now versus trying to look at long-term trends. Is that, is that a good way to think about it? Because we are going through a great reopening again. Right Absolutely. Now. And, you know, sometimes in the investing world, the word trend gets misapplied because there are some things that are trends. There are other things that look like trends, but really they're just short-term catalysts. So right, let right. me let me give a specific example. Um, we are starting to talk about, as we did call it 10 months ago, 11 months ago, the great reopening 2.0. And just like last year at this time, travel stocks and travel related stocks were looking more attractive because the future was looking brighter for them. But I, and I'm just speaking for myself here, I look at something like the cruise industry and those are stocks that are beaten down and there may be a short-term catalyst to, oh, bookings are going to go up for them. And the stock is so beaten down that you can get a 20, 30% increase over the next six months if you buy these shares now that's a short-term catalyst because once the catalyst is over the cruise industry just goes back to being what it was before which is in my mind not a great business um, it is a capital intensive input cost heavy business with huge marketing costs so um, i instead look to things like the hotel stocks, which we've talked about recently, um, a month or so ago, they were all hitting new highs. Uh, Airbnb, uh, which is uh, a company that I own uh, some shares of, I think the economics of Airbnb are very attractive, particularly with uh, the fact that they said they think this next quarter they're going to um, return to pre-pandemic levels. So that to me is a business with legs. That's a long-term trend that I'm interested in, uh, short-term catalysts, not so much. Yeah, that is a good dividing line. It, I mean, it's helpful to me in my mind. First of all, look, you don't have to tell me twice that cruise ships are sort of a bad bet. I mean, every image I get in mind is like Legionnaire's disease and feces dripping down the walls, which is literally something that happened on a cruise ship. I just... I'm sorry. I'm not. I'm not looking for Carnival cruise ships to come and sponsor this podcast. I, I'm not meaning to set anybody off their dinner, but that's a thing. I'm anti-cruise. But yes, I mean, I, this this differentiation you're making is is super helpful to me because it is easy to look at the short time horizon and to think about what's going on now and can I can I judge from what's just happened and sort of try and time things to make a short term gain. Sure, that is possible. You could be wrong, and there there are going to be some winners and losers in there. But that's that's kind of one category of thing. But you you wanted to talk also about the longer time horizon and thinking about trends. So what's what is a good way to think about trends? Often we think of trends as something that are, is set in the future. And this is something I, I realized very recently that so much of the conversation around trends is set around technology, 
um, the way we live our lives. And in some cases, it is set uh, in the future, but the near future. Um, and what's tricky about that is getting the timing right. Um, in the past decade, like, let's just go back 10 years, 2012. How many predictions in 2012 around the topic of self-driving cars included this decade? Pretty mm. much all of them. Pretty much right. every conversation around self-driving cars was, well, by 2020, X, Y, and Z is going to, these are going to be on the road. These are going to be ubiquitous. Um, I feel pretty confident right now. If I was at a sports book in Vegas, um, I feel confident betting on 2030 saying, no, it's actually not happening at any point in the 20. Now I might be wrong, but that is the tricky thing about, about thinking about futuristic trends is getting the timing right. Will we have self-driving cars someday? Yeah, we probably will. When will that be? It may be decades from now. So the, I realize that when I think about trends, the trends that I like to think about are things that are happening right now and having them continue into the future. So I've talked before about home improvement. And I think every stat I've seen recently about home building in America um, makes me feel even more strongly that home improvement is a trend that is happening right now that is going to continue and get stronger in the future. Um, when you just think about how many people are, younger people in particular, are saying out loud, I'm not interested in buying a home. I just want to rent. I want to travel. Uh, I have a flexible job. I can move around. I can do Airbnb here and there. All of those, it doesn't matter where you live. You can rent an apartment, a condo, an Airbnb. You can own your own home. It doesn't matter where you live. That home has to be maintained. It has, the upkeep is necessary. And so that is the trend that I am more comfortable in. Um, there are other people who are much better about seeing into the future than I am. Is there a way to think about this from a portfolio perspective where to some degree, what we're all doing with our retirement, and I opened the show talking about how I'm a dull kind of investor who listens to experts like Chris Hill on The Motley Fool who says, take a long time horizon, you know, think about indexes, think about, you know, you're, you're, you're going to let the power of, of portfolios and time do all the work for you and, instead of doing the work yourself. Is there a way to think about trends from a portfolio perspective? So for example, you might build the base of your retirement investing around solid year in, year out performers that reflect needs that don't go away. People are going to have to take care of their, their homes. People are going to have to get food, whatever the, the basic need is. And, and companies that perform that service or make that product well year in and year out. And you can do that with the bulk of your portfolio, and that's going to be solid. But maybe you want to set aside a portion of it to be a little bit more speculative, to be a little bit more predictive of the future. And you say, you know what, here's where I'm going to place a bet. I'm going to place a bet on self-driving cars and, um, I don't know, autonomous self-flying phones or whatever the whiz-bang thing is that you think is coming around the corner. Is, is that sort of a way to segment it? I think it is. And it's, it's something I've done in my own uh, investing life. Um, I, uh, about a year ago, um, had a chunk of money. Uh, my wife and I did. I sort of looked at where all of our money was invested and said, you know what? We can afford to invest this money in more speculative, um, the quote unquote, higher risk, higher reward businesses. 
we split the money evenly across 10 different stocks. And as of right now, Matt, uh, eight of them are losing money. Uh, two of them are in positive territory. Eight of them are losing money. I think three of them are down more than 70%. Um, but my thinking at the time was 10 years from now in 2031, I think as a group, this is going to be three times higher than it is right now. Mm. I think I'm, that's sort of my expectation that, that a couple of these are going to go to zero or close to it. A couple of these are going to be monster winners and they will drive the bulk of the gains. But uh, when I look at that, if all I did was just look at that group of 10, I would feel horrible. When I step back and realize that amount of money is basically 3% of the total amount of money we have invested, I feel a whole lot better. That, that's a really helpful explanation. Again, it goes back to this distinction about what's really a long-term trend and what isn't. Well, I do want to touch on a, a theme that we love coming back to on this show, a sector that I think both of us are fond of and find interesting, which is streaming. And you were noting to me off the air that it's a little bit of an under the radar thing, but Disney has confirmed that they're going to land, launch an ad supported tier to their streaming Disney plus service. What do you take away from this? Good move, terrible move, gamble or unknown? At the moment, I think it's unknown. Uh, this to me, as much as anything, signifies how much is going on in the world um, and uh, certainly uh, you know, the, the seriousness of what's happening in Ukraine um, and the tragedy there. Um, because were that not happening and we were just dealing with the stock market in general as earnings season winds down, this would be, I believe, a much bigger story, getting a lot more attention. Um, Disney launched their streaming service in late 2019. Um, that was uh, somewhere in the order of three years after they had originally targeted when they were going to launch it. It got off to roaring success. Uh, it helped in part by the pandemic. Um, and they've got somewhere in the neighborhood of 125 million subscribers just to the Disney Plus service. And late last week, there was a report, I believe the media outlet, it was The Information, uh, reported this. Other news outlets picked up on it. And Disney finally confirmed it, that later this year, Disney's going to launch an ad-supported tier to their streaming service. So um, if you want Disney+, Plus, you can get it for, I think it's like $7 a month or $8 a month, something like that. Uh, presume They haven't shared any other details. They haven't said when specifically this year it's happening. They haven't said what the price point is going to be. Um, I, I think that the entire spectrum of possibilities is on the table. I think this could be a, a move of desperation in some part, that they really aren't growing subscribers the way they want. And so this is to boost those numbers. That's a possibility. Another possibility is keep in mind, Disney owns ESPN and they own Hulu. And both ESPN Plus and Hulu have subscription models and ad supported models. So it's entirely possible they are looking at their own data and seeing the pathway for people who come in on the ad-supported lower-priced model and then some percentage of those people move to, I'm going to pay more so I don't have to watch the ads. They may be looking at that data 
and saying to themselves, yes, this is the move. This is, we've run the numbers and this is not only going to get more subscribers in the door at a lower price point, but it also enables us to increase the price on the ad free model down the line. Like I said, I'm fascinated to see how this turns out. I really hope uh, some enterprising business reporter um, six months from now is going to come out with a, a 3000 word article behind the scenes of how this all went down. Because I, I'm, I think it's one of the most interesting things in the entertainment business industry to watch right now. Oh, I like that a lot. I, I, I really like this. I know it's being a little speculative, but on the other hand, that I find that really compelling as an idea of, of what might be underlying your thinking. Yes, I guess we'll have to wait for the behind the scenes TikTok on it, but I, I like your theory. And by the way, just as an aside, I think if I had a news site that, that conveyed scooplets like you just described, I might want to call it the information too. Why? Because it's the snakes on a plane model of naming something. You tell people exactly what they're going to get. It's like getting a restaurant and naming it food on a plate. Look, what are you going to get? You're going to get food on a plate, snakes on a plane. Why would you go to my website? Get the information. That's all I'm saying. All right. Look, we have time for just one more on this show. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm really excited about this one. Why? Because you, Chris Hill want to rail against baseball. And I'm right there with you because I don't think baseball should be a thing. I don't think it's a sport. I know it's not a sport. They call it the American pastime. Why? Because it's not a sport. It's a way to pass time and a, not a particularly good one. But you want to go even further than me in alienating all the baseball fans out there. Chris Hill, go for it. It's America's pastime. It's probably not America's future. Uh, the the <laughs> past, uh, past being the, the key the word. The major league baseball owners might be collectively, I'm not saying individually, but I'm saying collectively as a group, it might be the dumbest group of high net worth individuals in America. Yes. Uh, I know people Tell like to rail why. against, I know they like <laughs> to rail against politicians. Yes. Um, you know, you can look at the other major pro sports in America. You can look at the NHL owners, uh, the NFL owners. Um, it's not even close what Major League Baseball is doing, what the owners are doing to collectively shoot themselves in the foot because they are once again, uh, the Washington Post had a, a story last week in the sports section uh, about the lockout, how the season was not going to start on time. And there was a full page, an entire full page of the newspaper that was essentially a timeline of other work stoppages in Major League Baseball. And almost all of them were for just the dumbest of reasons. Um, you know, you have billionaires fighting with millionaires and the fact that they're not going to come to an agreement at a time when nothing else is going to be happening in a significant way in, in America when it comes to sports. If you think about April, um, the NHL and NBA playoffs will not have started. The college basketball tournament will be over. The NFL season is months away. And yet, baseball's owners are going to blow the chance to <laughs> have the spotlight to themselves. And instead, ironically, they're going to hand it to the USFL. Yes, the secondary pro football league of my youth um, with the original names, the New Jersey Generals and the, the Tampa Bay Bandits and 
oh my God, it's just the idiocy and the inability to learn from past mistakes. I mean, that's what we try and do as investors, right? We know we're going to make mistakes. We just want to try and learn from them and not repeat them. Major League Baseball appears to be um, a, a sport which is dominated by owners who have a complete inability to learn from past mistakes. Oh, music to my ears. I mean, <laughs> I, I do think it's interesting and it's notable, and I know we're, we're running out of time here on the show, but it is notable that, you know, the downward slide in ratings for the NBA, for example, continues. And, you know, we, we'll see. We'll see what happens with the playoffs this year because there are an awful lot of teams vying for playoff spots that are legit contenders right now. And, you know, the NBA has has its own issues to deal with. The NFL has its own issues to do with, you know, coaches and Kaepernick and et cetera. But the idea that you've got these competitive products out there for the sports viewer and the, and the sports advertising dollar, and you're going to say, you know what? Eh, let's, we're fine. We're fine. We're going to, you know what? It's a rain out because in baseball, when it gets a little rainy, it's, it's too much. We're, we're not going to play ball. All right. I'm done dunking on baseball. Chris Hill, thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure, man. Thanks. 